The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? But I kept saying to myself, you shouldn't feel this bad. Nothing that horrible happened to you. But I came to realize that that was poison because it wasn't helping me. Like telling myself I should feel better was not getting me better. And it wasn't helping anybody else to compare my pain to other people's pain to say, well, so-and-so had it so much worse. Like that didn't help the other person and it certainly didn't help me. So I hit rock bottom on my 25th birthday when I drunk dialed my therapist threatening to hurt myself. And that next morning, I was like, oh my God, that is so not a thing. Like, I I don't want to be living a life like that. How can I heal myself? That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Tara Schuster. She is the Vice President of Talent and Development at Comedy Central. She is the executive in charge of Lights Out with David Spade and was the executive in charge of the Emmy and Peabody award-winning show Key and Peel and the Emmy award-winning show At Midnight. Her numerous other shows include Another Period, Not Safe with Nikki Glaser, and Hood Adjacent. Her plays have been performed in the New York International Fringe Festival, and her writing has appeared in The New Yorker Online. Her new book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies, is amazing. (laughs) I can't say enough good things. And the conversation that we're really diving in today is what does self-care actually look like in a world where we're told that self-care means face masks and mimosas with your girlfriends? That's all noise, you guys. Um, News alert. (laughs) Self-care is actually doing the internal deep dive into your psyche and your needs and not putting band-aids on your stress anymore. And one of the things that we also talk about that I really, really love is um, that you don't have to hit some epic bottom or some like, you know, go to jail or screw up your life or whatever it might be in order to deal with your personal pain. We might all have personal pain to some degree. And so with that, I'll save the rest for this episode. I hope you guys love it. And until then, I love you. Until next time, I should say. I love you. I really do. I don't know who needs to hear that on this Monday morning, but I do. I love you. Have a good week. So I want to go all the way back because we were talking before we started recording that um, something that I heard you say that I thought was really profound and resonated with me was that you don't have to have this like epic bottom or horrendous drug addiction or be a twice convicted felon or have been raped when you were five to have an aha moment that kind of like rockets you into the reality of your life. And I was talking about how in my early days of AA, um, I would think to myself when I was working through the 12 steps, like everybody needs 
a 12-step program. Like everybody needs this work. And so when you said that, I was like, aha, like someone's (laughs) talking about this, you know, that the way that we're currently operating as a society is actually not normal. Yeah, I think you know, there are a lot of us out there, people who didn't have the worst childhood ever, not the most traumatic experience, who still feel themselves suffering from chronic anxiety and depression. And they walk around crying in their cubicles at work, telling themselves how they should feel fine. And my answer to that is like, hell no. If you feel bad, if it's taking a toll on your life, then you deserve to get to deal with that trauma. And for me, this all came through kind of understanding that I had gone through a very neglected childhood, which wasn't the worst childhood ever. But basically, when I was little, things came to my house to die. Like all the plants died, all the pets died. Iggy the iguana died within a week of coming from Petco. There was just no nurturing. There was no paying attention. Life was with no self-awareness. And so this sort of turned me into this mesorec disaster of a early 20-something where I was in New York crying in my cubicle at work, crying on the subway on a good day, openly weeping. But I kept saying to myself, you shouldn't feel this bad. Nothing that horrible happened to you. But I came to realize that that was poison because it wasn't helping me. Like telling myself I should feel better was not getting me better. And it wasn't helping anybody else to compare my pain to other people's pain to say, well, so-and-so had it so much worse. Like that didn't help the other person and it certainly didn't help me. So I hit rock bottom on my 25th birthday when I drunk dialed my therapist threatening to hurt myself. And that next morning... I was like, oh my God, that is so not a thing. Like, I I don't want to be living a life like that. How can I heal myself? Um, And I just want to clarify, Mm -hmm. was drunk dialing and blacked out and calling your therapist Mm -hmm. something that was a regular occurrence or was it something that just like happened that night? Yeah. So I was pretty out of control in general, but this was a particular kind of shame that I felt. I had never scared my therapist before. And in the book I go through, she left a bunch of voicemails for me that the next morning I was kind of memento style piecing back together, you know, like what happened. And I realized she was really worried. And her being worried, this woman who was perma-calm, always with a glass of tea, you know, and a placid smile, her worry made me worry. And so that morning I decided, you know what? I didn't have parents. No new parents are coming to the rescue. I am not the child of some secret royal family. If somebody's going to take care of me, it's got to be me. And it was that day that I decided to reparent myself, to, to go out and heal these traumas even if they were small, because I was just sick of dismissing how much pain I was in. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about one of my favorite things in the whole world, which is cured nutrition, CBD. If you've been following along with me, I don't know, for the last year or so, then you know that I'm a huge fan of cured nutrition. Not only a fan of the product, but also of the owners and their commitment to creating an amazing product that is free of anything harmful is just something that's totally in alignment with who I am. And you guys know, I don't mess around. I don't share stuff with you that isn't the real deal. 
CBD is most commonly incorporated into wellness regimens to improve sleep, decrease inflammation, and reduce the body's stress load. Cured Nutrition's mushroom plus CBD blends, tinctures, and treats work with your body's natural system to produce clear benefits without the worry of a psychoactive component. Plus, how many other companies can say that their products are locally sourced and crafted in-house? Not many. Each cured product is third-party tested for potency, purity, and the absence of harmful contaminants like microbials, pesticides, and heavy metals. Fully aligned with complete transparency, they've even published these details directly on their website. I'm going to tell you guys the deets of what I'm loving from Cured Nutrition right now. I take their Zen nighttime blend every night before bed, along with their tinctures throughout the day. I'm also a big fan of the dog treats and give them to my pup on a regular basis. Right now, you can go to curednutrition.com and enter promo code Lexus 25 at checkout for 25% off your purchase of $50 or more. That's curednutrition.com with the promo code Alexis25 at checkout for 25% off your purchase of $50 or more. Now back to the episode. I talk about the inner voice that we have a lot and it's interesting because reparenting is becoming something it's kind of it's like ramping up to be the next new thing it's like the new codependency you know what I mean (laughs) Um, but I remember being like rocketed into my reality when um, I had my sponsor I remember crying on the phone I was eight months pregnant a couple of years into my sobriety And my mom and I were in the most epic fight of our lives. Like just, it was just mean, vicious Mm. and stuff going on. And I remember, and I remember her saying like, she's never going to be the mom that you need her to be. And he's Mm. never going to be the dad that you need him to be. And so it's up to you to fill in that space. Absolutely. And I remember just going, Oh, I mean, that moment that it clicked where I was like, oh, you mean I can give myself an, a hug? Yes. You mean that I can talk to myself kindly? Yes. You mean that when I'm having a hard day, sometimes I just need to slow down? All yeah. of these things were fucking foreign to me. I completely relate. I mean, that is exactly what my experience was. And actually in college, I had written a bunch of plays about a little girl who's always asking people, how do I hug myself? Mm. So I knew these things I sort of knew I was asking the question of, but it really wasn't until I hit rock bottom that day that I realized I need to do this. And I'm so desperate that I can't keep running because it seemed to me really scary and overwhelming to take responsibility for my life. Like that seemed impossible. Like how could I actually be my own parent? But what I came to realize was step by step, small kindness by small kindness, small ritual by small ritual, I could build a stability for myself. And that was a hell of a lot less scary 
than the life that I was leading. Yeah. It's not some radical shift that just has to happen overnight. No. And I think people get really put off by self-care and reparenting because they think... Because what is self-care? And I I remember when I was writing the copy for my website and one of the things I said to the writer was, cut the woo, boo. Like, (laughs) I don't care. Like, you, great. I respect your CBD and your IV drips and all of these things, but it can feel like impossible to the person who's in the the depths of despair and who's like no and to me that's not self-care at all these these fun things like a sheet mask is great that's like a fun nourishing thing is it self-care no self-care to me is taking an honest accounting of where you need healing Mm. and doing the work to heal yourself yes because otherwise it's a band-aid the cbd the face mask all of these things they're lovely But it's a Band-Aid. Exactly. And I still incorporate the lovely things because, you know, the title of my book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies, like I ardently believe that you have to buy yourself the lilies. You have to buy yourself the small, luxurious basics that make your life better, but they are always the nurturing part. Like the lilies come after the work. The face mask comes after you journal about why this particular situation is so upsetting to you, after you honor your actual feelings. So I think self-care is kind of being co-opted by brands and products and by this, by that. Drink this rosé all day. It will make your life, you know, so much more glamorous and you deserve it. But anytime someone says you deserve it, like to me, that's a false equation. If, If someone says you've had a hard week, you deserve this bottle of Pinot Noir, that's crazy. Like you'd never say I've had a hard week. I deserve this oxygen. Yeah. Like we only justify the things that don't really work because we want them because they're crutches and and we think that would be easier. But what I'm trying to say is, no, it's way easier to take basic care of yourself. Yes. And, and getting, yeah. And what are those basics? I was listening yeah. to an amazing podcast with this neurologist who talked about who pe- people who have trauma or PTSD, anxiety, depression, they're operating out of their limbic brain, which mm-hmm. is our the first part of our brain to develop. And the last part of our brain is our prefrontal cortex, which is where we learn decision-making and impulse control and all of these things. But if you've had trauma or a challenging upbringing or whatever it might be, and I will say that some experts define trauma as anything less than nourishing hmm. and mm-hmm. nurturing. Hmm. And so... Well, that feels a little extreme mm-hmm. to me, um, it kind of makes sense. As parent now, yeah. I think, you know, I'm not traumatizing my kid when I have to like, you know, put her down and, and she's screaming and whatever. I don't think that that's, you know, right. traumatizing, <laughs> but it's an interesting concept. But um, what he was saying is that, you know, 60 to 80% of people, 50 to 80% of people rather, who get a bad diagnosis in the doctor's office, never go and do anything about it. People who have depression, they feel often like there's no hope, like there's nothing right. that they can do. And so what he was saying is there's just four simple things that you can start mm. doing now mm-hmm. that help you access that prefrontal cortex so you can start making change. I thought that was so interesting. And mm-hmm. it was basics. It wasn't CBD no. and vitamin drips. It was nature. Right. Getting outside and breathing. Right. Um, eating a little bit better. Right. Exercising and meditation and some good sleep. 
It's the basics. It's my whole message is luxuriate in the basics. Like Mm. the basics are the luxury. Yeah. Those are the things that bring you more joy than a vacation to Hawaii for real. Like that's nice. But what about making your bed every morning? It seems so simple, but I on it, I can say it will make your life at least 10% better to always come home to a made bed. For me, it was really journaling and exercise were the two things that kind of blew the lid off for me and allowed myself to lead a more abundant life. I think journaling for me is how I get in touch with that inner voice that you're talking mm. about. I call it DMing with your soul. Like, Oh, I love that. You know, like that's, that's so good. That's where you can get those sneaky semi-secret messages from yourself. And, and the journaling practice, it forces you on paper to see what you actually think and what you actually believe. When, what does that process look like? Yeah. So I read, and this is one of my, my Bibles, um, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I love that book. In it, she has a practice called the morning pages where you write three pages of like word vomit, the first things you think of every morning. And so I've been doing that for nine-ish years. Mm. And honestly, I have such a more open channel to, to myself because we get so distracted with all of our anxieties and worries and, and you kind of forget what you believed in in the first place and what you wanted in the first place. So every morning before I have a chance to get wrapped up in my workday because I have a full-time job and I totally work for the man, I have that time to myself to get in touch with myself. Yeah. I think it's so important because um, it often for me is like a moment of inspiration. Mm. Like I wake up. And sometimes it's chaos. My my three-year-old running in my room and screaming, mommy, mommy, get out of bed, get out of bed right now. The sun is up. You know, she's like very excited about the day. But sometimes, sometimes it's like, oh, I forgot to do that. And I actually need to do it, yeah. which reduces my anxiety because it's on paper and it's exactly. like a checklist, mm-hmm. right? Of like, okay, we're not letting this slip by. This is something I need to do. Um, and then another thing that I, I use it at nighttime too, like when you have those running thoughts mm-hmm. of just like nonsense in your yeah. head and you can't go to sleep, I'll, I'll just write it on a piece of paper. So it's on the paper. Yeah. It's, it's done. It's on the page and out of your head. Yeah. And that to me is maybe the most important part of it. Um, the other thing is you're writing and thinking like it's a physical meditation, you know, like your hand and your mind have to unite when you're journaling. So I find it very meditative every morning. And also I can't lie to myself long-term. If if I write on paper, I'm not happy in this relationship for six months, it becomes a hell of a lot harder to fake it to yourself. Yeah, like, the, okay, so you're seeing patterns. Exactly. You're seeing patterns on the paper and you're like, okay, when am I going to do something about this? Exactly. It forces you to be more aware of yourself and to take action unless you really don't want to fix your life, but here you are journaling, so obviously you were open to this to begin with. Mm, yeah. And then you said exercise too has oh my been God. helpful for you. Yes. I hate exercise. I do it because I know that I should, Yeah, but I don't like it still, and it's been a long time. <laughs> I, I can honestly tell you that I was I was born an indoor kid. I had never moved my human body before the age of 25, 
I mean, I got a, the only C I ever got was in PE. PE. I flunked PE yeah, too. Like I walked the mile <laughs> exactly. every Wait, single time. I too, yep. I had a very depressing mile experience where my parents forgot to send me gym clothes. So mm-hmm. in a gabardine uniform and uh. saddle shoes, I ran walked, crawled the mile on a black asphalt parking lot. It was one of the most humiliating experiences of my life to the point where my coach sort of was like, do you want to keep going or <laughs> you can stop. like you can stop? Yeah. yeah. Like, like that's the not coach an option. Had more empathy for you than your parents <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I was completely against exercise, completely against it. But after I hit this rock bottom place, I just started appealing to my friends. Like, what do you think I can do? I went to one of my calmest seeming friends, or at least, at least she looked like she wasn't about to jump out the window. And I said, how many of those did you have? <laughs> of those friends? Yeah. A lot. Thank God. <laughs> okay, good. Because I, 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 I will say, I think a lot of people, their friends are in their in the same spot. I think so many people just are operating in survival mode 24-7 now. Yeah. I, I think my friends, and I write a lot about this because I came from such a damaged home, I tended to look for people who had different damage. Like we didn't have the same same issues. Yeah. Yeah. So to Julia, I said, I'm so anxious about this. It was always about like a boyfriend breakup situation. Um, What do you think I should do? And she was like, I think you should go for a run. Am I, am I allowed to curse? I have no yeah. idea. Oh my God, yeah. So she's like, I think you should go for a run. And I'm like, fuck you. You go for a run. My anxiety is so deep. My issues so grand. Like there's no way a fucking run is going to help me. But sort of to spite her and show her that she was wrong, I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to go for a run. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. So I started really small, like run from my apartment to the stop sign from the stop sign to the next block. And I would do these short little runs and I would hate them. I cannot describe to you how much I detested every single second of it. But the more I did it, the more I felt myself get sweaty and the more I felt proud of the small achievements I was able to rack up. And that over the course of years, I mean, it's been incredible. I could now honestly call myself an athlete. Like Mm. I ran four miles this morning just to feel good. I hate the running. Like, I, I want to be very clear. I don't enjoy the actual act, but I do enjoy having done it because yeah. I know it sets my mind at peace. It's better than any anti-anxiety drug I've ever taken. And I've taken many. Um, running, physically exerting yourself, pushing yourself further than you think you could really has important mental health benefits. Yeah. So, okay, how many years, so it's your 25th Mm -hmm. birthday and you have this meltdown and how many years did it, I don't want to say equilibrium is not the right word, but to kind of be like, okay. I I would say stability. Stability. It took five years to get a real stability, like four to five. and, And that's when I... And I mean, that's of therapy, writing every day. I created this Mm. Google Doc that ended up being 600 pages of advice that I had heard and learnings that I had taken away. Like I really studied it like a student. And at the end of that time, that's when I realized I had a story to tell. Like Mm. I never set out to write a book. I set out to save my life. And when I'd come to this stable place and was happy, stable and happy were two words 
I would have never thought were possible for me. Like I would have laughed in your face. Um, so when I felt that to be true, <laughs> when I was like, oh my God, I enjoy my life and I don't want to die. Like, whoa, maybe this could help other people. And it just so happens that I wrote this document about it. And that was the basis of the book. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think anybody um, who, and, you know, I, and I call it the spiritual path, but it was really drilled on, into me in the beginning that like getting on the spiritual path is not necessarily the easiest path because no. you're going to have to confront a lot, your deepest, darkest, those like soul excavations that hurt so mm -hmm. bad. And you're like, why is this hurting so bad? <laughs> but it's so worth it. And I will say that um, I've had moments in the last nine years where I've been coasting and I'm mm. like, everything's great. Like I am here, everything's fine. And then I've had moments of like deep, deep despair. And I'll say that the, the end of 2018 and into the first half of 2019, I literally felt like I was dying every mm. day. Like mm. doing this podcast, showing up, just feeling like I'm dying. Mm. Like this is the most pain. And it was just work, work right. that I needed to do. And I think we really underestimate the way that our emotional pain and trauma really shows up physically. Oh, yeah. In our lives. I mean, I, if you don't deal with something, it will deal with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I love that. You know, that's the flip side of it, right? Is people who ignore all this pain that they're in, it is dealing with them whether or not they want to deal with it. Yeah. So, yes, it is in some ways harder to deal with these with these traumas and your emotional wounds. But actually, on the other side of it, this is a hell of a lot easier. Like I'm way happier, more able to show up for my life now when things, because shit still goes wrong all the goddamn time. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's not like, la la, everything's perfect. No, but I have the tools. But now I have the tools and now I don't spin out into, you know, I have, I definitely have my moments where something will make me spin out, but more often than not. My the bottom where I used to go is a lot higher than where it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those things show up for us, whether it is physical or not. And I would say for a lot of people, it is. I think a lot yeah. of people don't realize that um, so much of the diseases that people are dying from, you know, uh, you know, the top, I think it, the statistic I read recently was the top five reasons why we die the most in the mm -hmm. United States are all preventable. Yeah. And 250,000 people a year die from them. And it's a public crisis. And I would say that all of those five, you know, I would say that the vast majority of people who deal with those top five leading causes of death, it was preventative because they just needed to deal with emotional trauma. Well, even look at suicide in this country mm -hmm. today. I mean, we are in a culture of, of anxiety and depression. De anxiety and depression is at an all-time high in this country, even as we make more and there's more money, blah, blah, blah. Emotionally, we're really suffering. And of course, it comes out physically. Like, how could it not if it's in your body? Your mind and your body are not divorced from one another. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say it does come out physical. And then the other thing I was going to say is that um, it shows up in our lives, in our relationships yeah. with others, especially. And yeah. I don't think people, people are like, well, I'm just angry, you know, or I just have anxiety or, you know, I just can't get a man or mm -hmm. whatever it is. And it's like, no, you can. You just have some work to do. It's just work. I, yeah. I just want people to know that it is just work 
And that's very good news because you can do work. Yeah. Work is possible. There's no miracle and there's no, I love that you're using like CBD or those examples where they're like, here's the cure all. It's all whatever. Maybe it works for some amount of it, but we all know that there is no silver bullet. Over the summer, I was getting tested for multiple sclerosis Mm. and uh, all these autoimmune diseases. And I felt like my body was shutting down all the time. And I was like, God, I've done so much work. And how can the, why is this happening? And I was seeing this amazing woman, Vanessa, who is healing my autonomic nervous system. And she's like, I don't have answers for you. You have you have no heavy metals in your body. Mm-hmm. You have no mold. We've exhausted all options. Your MS tests came back clear. Your Lyme disease test back came out clear. She goes, it is emotional. Yeah. And maybe it was a little bit before summer. And she goes, it is moving through your body. It is living there. And um, and I remember going back to one of my spiritual guides, teachers, and saying, okay, there's still work. Yeah. There's still work. There's something that's sitting there. And yeah. what I realized was I'm in the process of finishing up this book. Right. And they're the, you know, attorneys are cutting, cutting, cutting. And I just felt like I was still keeping secrets. Right. I felt like I was keeping a lot right. of people's secrets and it did not feel good. And so I was harboring all of this fear about the book coming out. And of course, rejection and all of that. But then also the fact that, you know, here I am hiding, right? hiding other people, you know, to, right. to keep others, my abusers in mm. a lot of circumstances safe. That's a tough, I mean, I definitely went through that when you go through the legal review of a memoir. I actually found that to be one of the hardest parts of the whole process. Yeah. My dad and I had never had an honest conversation about my childhood until I gave him the manuscript. And I was so afraid because I don't have a relationship with my mom. And I was really worried about, you know, if my dad's the only adult family member I have, what's going to happen if if he doesn't like this? And he just validated it all. He was like, I'm sorry you went through this. I wish I had protected you more. I'm glad you are where you are now. But I don't know if we would have ever had that conversation. I don't ever know that he would have said to me, yes, you went through this. I'm sorry I didn't protect you unless I had written the book. Yeah. Wow. That's an amazing, what a gift. It really was an enormous gift and it activated in me my gratitude for him because for so much of my life, I had been like, fuck my parents. Like they did this to me. They did this and it was on purpose. But what I came to realize was it was completely not personal. They acted in the way they knew how. They didn't have anything better to give me. They just gave me what they had. And my dad didn't intend to neglect me. He just didn't know what else to do. Yeah. So that was very freeing too, because I realized we take everything so personally. We think the way a person treats us has to do with us. Nine times out of 10, it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with them and their perspective. And I was able to link sort of my empathy for him to my gratitude to be born at all. I mean, I was on a date recently and the guy asked, you know, how, how do you feel about your childhood? You've written this book. How do you feel? And I said, well, I'm grateful that I had it. He's like, no, you're grateful. Like almost like couldn't believe it. And it's like, yeah, 
first off as a survival mechanism, if I'm not grateful for it, then like how the fuck else am I going to feel about it? So first off, it's just my optimism about things. But second off, I wouldn't be the person I am today. I don't know that I would have come to love myself in the way that I do had I not been through all of those things. So yes, I'm grateful to my parents. I'm grateful that I was born. I'm grateful that I got out of that situation. Yeah. And people are always shocked when I'm like, uh, uh, you know, going to jail was the best thing that ever happened to me. And people are like, what? Yeah. What? Um, and while, you know, when I take a good hard look at my life and, you know, would I would have not wanted to be raped at five? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Would I have not wanted to have a physically abusive father? Yeah. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't have it any other way. Right. Because I wouldn't be me. You wouldn't be you doing you know? exactly what you're doing. And even doing. if the stress kills me 25 <laughs> early, years earlier than, you know, the average per- person, it's okay. It's okay. You know, I just, I really feel that, that like, I wouldn't be doing this work right now. Right. Exactly. that not, you know, transpired. And you might not have gotten to know yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people live their life on autopilot and they're handed a set of values and a way to live really young and they just keep repeating those patterns over and over again. And there's never a moment where they have to pause and say, wait, is this how I want to lead my life? Yeah. Am I doing the things that make me happy, that make me respect myself? But when you've had a situation that's traumatic and you deal with it, it is it pauses your life a little bit to take a to take a look to closer yeah. inspection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about how this work uh, kind of has affected your career life, and yeah. I want to talk about that too because I think it's really important. Um, you've gone into detail on other podcasts about how you know you made it to basically like the top of this industry, you're kicking ass, like how, you know, and the lessons and everything that's come from it. Yeah. You know, I think this kind of hard work and looking in the mirror really was mirrored in my career because I write in the book about um, The Daily Show and being the best intern at the worst of tasks. There was a coffee machine that I just like made my bitch. Like that thing <laughs> was clean, operating, perfect every day. And if you day. know what it's like to to be on a set, you know how dirty yeah, these things are. Like, it's disgusting. disgusting. Yeah, because it's been a bunch of men who yeah. have been just like refilling the pot and never washing it once. 100%. Yeah. And it's like scummy and nobody, and nobody wants to do it. So there was exactly zero competition for the job of <laughs> cleaning the coffee machine. Yeah. But I saw it as a small little break, something where I could make a difference as opposed to, you know, the other interns were kind of pitching jokes and trying to become writers on the show. And I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm going to be a writer on the show. Like, what's the, what's the thing I could be really good at? What's the contribution I could make? And I've basically taken that logic and applied it to every step of my career. What's the contribution I can make right now in this current job as opposed to I should be the SVP mm-hmm. of blah, 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 you know, as opposed to wanting bigger things in the future, what can I do to be really present now and really helpful 
what value can I add to this? I, I think people don't ask that enough. Oh, I don't hear that at all. Yeah. Like, what can I do for you? Yeah. And especially now, uh, you know, and it's not that I need to hear it right now, but now that I'm a CEO and yeah. running this whole thing and I, you know, have people who are helping me, even them, it's like, it's a job where they're like, okay, I just need my paycheck. And yeah. I'm like, I'm wanting, you know, somebody. And the one person who's really great is my nanny, who also now assists for me part time. She's great. But I'm like, how often do you hear like, what can I do to support you? Yeah. I, I mean, and you stick out when you do that, because so few mm-hmm. people are. One of my favorite thinkers is a, he's a writer named Adam Grant and he give a, he wrote a book called Give and Take, which is about if you look at entrepreneurs and businesses and creative thinkers, the people who succeed the most are the people who give the most. They give freely and without wanting. It's not transactional. They don't give to get something. They give to give and giving happens to feel really good. So it yeah. like boosts everything about you when you do it. Yeah. And so I've always applied that to my life. And, you know, whether it's working with Key and Peele or I work on David Spade's show now, what can I give? I don't take my job for granted. What can I give to them? What value do I add that no other individual could? Because we all have really unique sets of skills. You know, my yeah. skills are somewhere between I'm really good at understanding things online. Like I ran Key and Peele's um, digital footprint and understanding comedy. So how can I bring that to every project I work on? And it it served me, you know, in a worst case scenario, I feel pride in knowing that I've done my best. And in a best case scenario, somebody cool notices and they help me along on my career. And I'm inherently a giver. Mm -hmm. And there's still a balance with it, right? Like yeah. we, we need to give, we need to look at like the ways that we can serve and you will absolutely be fulfilled by that. But then you also need to fill your tank too. And so I yeah, find that's true. myself as someone who, you know, in this podcasting, up into, you know, I, I just just talking about working a year, hustling for right. free, writing right. the book, you know what I mean? And, and all of these things that I'm like pouring my heart and soul into, in the hopes that I'll help people right. and like living. And I have to find balance with this too in my DMs of people who are like dealing with mental health and addiction yeah. and just trying to find that balance too. Because when I burn out, then the then whole ship falls apart. You're and, not, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I love um, on airplanes. Have you ever noticed in the the safety manual, there's, you know, the picture of yeah. the mom and, and yeah, the daughter. Yeah, you got to put your mask on first. If, if you don't put your mask on yeah. first, you cannot help anybody yeah. else. And I also feel like people can feel the intention of how, if you're giving from a place of, I want to be known as, I want to be accoladed for giving, mm-hmm. people feel it's, that energy. It's of, inauthentic. It is. Yeah, people know. Um, You know, I think finding the balance for me is understanding what inspires me and clinging onto that for dear life. So it's like a combination of how can I give, what value do I add, and what are the things that actually refill my tank? Yeah. Because we think the things, you know, I used to think that the things that would refill my tank were cool shoes, handbags, whatever. I've come to realize that they're baths and taking a drive to the beach and reading a really good book. They're mostly 
things where I can just be alone, like have a moment to myself. And as long as those two things are in balance, I find that I'm in balance. Well, I feel like I'm sounding very woo-woo right now. <laughs> I think, which I don't You're mean not, to be. Because it goes back to this, our essentials, which yeah. is being in nature. Yeah. Breathing. Yeah. Slowing down. Nothing like a hot bath, I gotta yeah. say. There's nothing like, you know, and it's like an For ancient For me, it's a shower. Thing. I just yeah. like just sit there. At the end of every shower that I have, I sit down and I just let the water hit my face. Yeah. And I just sit there for like two or three minutes. And I'm like, okay, it's quiet. My kids aren't running in here. Right. We're slowing down because what can seem like these very mundane tasks of, you know, we just go through, we get up, we put our shoes on, we brush our teeth, we brush our hair, we get out the door. You know what right. I mean? Maybe we grab a bar on the way out and, right. and you know, shove some food in our mouth, right. you know, and we're out. But when we can slow down and just have these like moments of, uh, Yeah. You know, and the gratitude aspect of that too. And we totally got off track from the work ethic thing, but it's okay. (laughs) The gratitude too of being like, oh, it's quiet right now. I'm grateful for this quiet moment. I try to treat all of those as rituals. So Mm -hmm. in the morning when I'm getting ready, I get ready like Cleopatra. (laughs) I'm like fucking burning an incense pyre. I am painting my tinted moisturizer on my face It's a mundane moment that I take the most absolute care in because those mundane moments are your life. There are few moments that are these big accolade moments. The birth, the wedding, all of these things. It's like, are you happy in between those? Yes, exactly. And I think we've moved away from rituals in a really sad, unsatisfying way. And if we can find the rituals in our day, when you first get up, how do you greet the day, right? Like I journal and write a gratitude list and try to stay really present with, oh my God, it's another day. Like that has been lost, that it is a miracle that you woke up in your bed. In my bed, I have a pink duvet every morning. I'm like, thank God for this pink duvet. (laughs) Like this makes my life a little bit better. And so I think it's really like ritualizing and making those mundane moments more special. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Well, when does your book come out or is it out? It comes out February 18th. Oh, how exciting. Thank you. And where is it available? You can buy the book anywhere books are sold. And if you pre-order it now and visit my website, which is tarashuster.com, I'm going to send like these beautiful book plates with a signature. I love that. Yeah. So a little special edition for the people who ordered early. Love that. Um, And where can everybody find you? Um, on Instagram, I'm Tara Schuster. And on my website, taraschuster.com, I have a newsletter where I send one self-care tip that I promise is not so cheesy you throw up in your mouth. <laughs> I send it straight to your inbox. It's really short. Um, yeah. I love it. Where do you find the inspiration for that? Is it just something you're working on or is yeah. it? Yeah. Be, you know, as we we're talking about before, the process is never done. Yeah. And always working. I'm always yes. working. And so... As I find things, I share them. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was great. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan. And until next time, guys. This week's affirmation is, I am good enough. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor. Head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us 
rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 